Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to be looking at the ver- first uh, 11 verses, actually verses 1 through 11 there in Matthew's Gospel. And I'll read that in just, just a second there, Matthew chapter 21. But as, as, we, as we come, the title of the sermon is, The King Reaches Jerusalem. And so we, kinda, we, we, we come to the point in Matthew's Gospel where, where the, the journey culminates in Jesus and his disciples arriving in the city of Jerusalem. And in fact, in Matthew's gospel, this journey could be said to have begun in chapter 19 when he leaves Galilee and heads south and he sets his face towards Jerusalem. That's where he's going. But it's actually fair to say that Jesus has been on this journey, this journey to Jerusalem ever since his birth. He's been on his way to Jerusalem since the events of the incarnation. He was born to go to Jerusalem this final time because this last trip to Jerusalem would be unlike any other trip that Jesus had made to Jerusalem. This event, this this drive to Jerusalem would set off a series of events that is rightfully understood and recognized as the culmination of the mission of Christ here on earth. And so in our passage this morning, we we have the beginning of what many Christians refer to as as Holy Week. This is Jesus getting to Jerusalem and the events that follow. In less than a week, he's going to be crucified on a hill outside of the city. And so the beginning of the week, what we find happening here in Matthew's gospel is what is often known as the triumphant entry or the triumphal entry. And what we'll see this morning is that while it's certainly true that the the king is coming to Zion, as we see, while that is certainly true, the promised son of David is is coming to the holy city, the circumstances surrounding this so-called triumphant entry are actually anything but triumphant. He's not coming with an army. He's not coming with weapons. He isn't coming riding on a war horse. He's not wearing a crown. And so as we read this, and, and we know triumphant entry because we know what's, what's happening in the coming week and, and following, those surrounding, this is not the pomp and circumstance that, that a Roman city would be used to. And so there's not much triumphant about what happens here. Instead, what we see is Jesus coming lowly, humble, riding on a donkey. And what we're going to see in this passage is that he's not the king that anyone expected, but he is the king that everyone needed. So so he's not the king that anyone expected. We're going to see that as as these events unfold. But we can rest assured that Jesus coming into Zion, he's coming as the king that everyone needed. And we'll see that this morning. Let's read the passage. You can follow along as I read Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. I'll read through verse 11. So Matthew writes this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage... To the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, quote, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he, that is Jesus, sat on them. 
Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's, let's pray as we, as we look at this passage together. Now, Father, we come to this passage knowing how this trip to Jerusalem ended, knowing that it ended with a crucified king, buried, dead, raised three days later, and 40 days after ascending back into heaven. And so we read the events of Jesus going into Jerusalem, knowing that he would suffer greatly, but be vindicated and ascend back to the right hand of his Father. And so we ask that as we, as we study, as we think about these verses, that you would incline our hearts to the testimonies here and to the, 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 the testimony to Christ the King and his work on our behalf. And so would you help us to love him more as a result of, of sitting under this word this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, there's really just two points here in the sermon. There's the promise of the king, which is going to be verses 1 through 5. Um, and and so, so we're going to see how, how Matthew lays out these first five verses as the promise of the king. He wants us to understand Jesus is coming, fulfilling a promise. But then second, we'll look at the response to the king. So we'll see how these crowds, how, how these followers respond to this king coming into Jerusalem. So, so first, the promise of the king. Look there at verses 1 through 5. So as we read, they, they drew near to Jerusalem. They come to this village of Bethpage, which is close to Bethany, to the Mount of Olives. And, and Jesus sends two disciples. They're unnamed. We don't know who they are. Maybe Matthew and uh, Mark, or Matthew and Luke. Uh, but, but we don't know. They're unnamed. And he sends them into a village saying, go to this village immediately in front of you and get a donkey and a colt with her, a mom and her baby. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone stops you, it wasn't common for people to just untie donkeys and colts that weren't there. So Jesus says, if anyone says anything, anything to you, they just tell them that the Lord needs them. And one of the other gospel accounts tells us that, in fact, someone did say, hey, what are you doing? And they say exactly that, and they let them go. So Jesus tells them what to do, and they're going to follow through. And if we're honest, this is a bit of a, an unusual command. It's not a normal request, but Jesus clearly issues this call to them. He commissions them to go do this task. And as, as, as they come to this point, as they're nearing Jerusalem, they're about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus says, go get this colt, this young donkey, and, and the mother, bring her with the donkey. And so I think, I think it's fair to say, Jesus, he's not stealing this. He, he's going to give these back. He just needs them for this, for this two-mile journey. And I think it's safe to assume that he knew this family or the owners of these animals because he says, if they ask, just say the Lord needs them, and that'll, that'll settle everything. So I think Jesus has a relationship with the owners here, but that doesn't really matter what matters is, is this, this request that he makes. And so we may, may stop and wonder, well, what exactly is going on? What is Jesus doing here? And thankfully, Matthew continues. He doesn't leave us in suspense. In fact, he explains exactly why Jesus is doing what he's doing in verse 4. 
Look there at verse 4. After, after, after recounting this request, this interaction, this commission of these two disciples, Matthew says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. This took place. What, what's just happened in what Jesus is asking took place to fulfill what was written by the prophet. And so in verse 4, Matthew wants us to recognize exactly what's going on. This took place to fulfill what was written, which, which this, if you've been with us through the Gospel of Matthew, this takes us all the way back to the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, where Matthew would regularly explain the events of the birth narrative. Remember when Jesus was, was prophesied, he said, this was to fulfill what was written. And, and the birth narrative is in these terms of it's a fulfillment of what was prophesied. He's doing a similar thing here at the end of the Gospel, as, as the life of Jesus comes to an end, he wants us to know this also is to fulfill what was written about the Messiah, about Jesus. He's doing this because the events leading up to and including Jesus' passion, like those surrounding his birth, are seen as particularly replete with fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Jesus doesn't just drop on the scene without a context. The Old Testament is the context that he comes within this bigger story to fulfill what was written about him. And so Matthew understands that, that these instructions given by Jesus, when he sends these two unnamed disciples to get a donkey in her colt in order for him to use, and when, when, when Jesus, for, for those of you, maybe, maybe it would make sense to think about, think about it this way, he, he schedules his Uber and he asks for an unridden colt. When he does that, he doesn't get the, 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 the highest level of, of Uber ride, right? the luxury, he, he gets the lowest but he's doing so intentionally. He's, he's orchestrating this specific event so that everyone watching and that everyone hearing about this will recognize a fulfillment of promise. He's orchestrating these events, this entry into Jerusalem in a very specific way so as to fulfill what was promised in the past by the prophet. And so we have to ask, well, what prophet is Matthew talking about? He's, he's referencing here Zechariah. One of the last Old Testament prophets, one of the minor prophets in Zechariah. Hopefully, if you're reading in your Bible in Matthew 20, that this quotation that's taken from the Old Testament is set off from the rest of the passage. That's, that's the, the translator's way of letting you know this is a quote from the Old Testament. And they probably even have put a footnote on this passage that then you can go down and, and you can see Zechariah 9 9. Those footnotes are to help us to, to read our Bibles better as, as a whole picture. So he, they, Matthew wants us to know that Zechariah promised that this would happen. And so Matthew actually quotes verbatim from Zechariah. So verse 5, so what does the prophet say? Say to the daughter of Zion, and here's where he quotes directly from Zechariah 9.9, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so this, this direct quotation of Zechariah, Matthew quotes this to let us know exactly what's going on. Jesus is fulfilling what Zechariah prophesied about the king coming into Zion, into Jerusalem. And so Jesus, by acquiring this donkey to ride into, is proclaiming to all who can see that he is in fact the promised king. That that's what he's doing. That, that helps us understand the, the abnormality of this mode of transportation. It's not this spur-of-the-moment idea on Jesus' part. This is a deliberate claim to be the one of whom the prophets had so clearly written. 
And so in, in Zechariah's prophet, in his prophecy in chapter 9, this, this passage is describing the coming of Zion's king. That Israel's king was going to come to them. This salvation was going to be accomplished as the king was coming to Zion to accomplish salvation. God's people were going to be saved by this king. Which is why in Zechariah the, the call is to rejoice and shout because the king is coming to save you. And the specific manner in which the promised king will come is humbly. It's going to be a humble king mounted on a donkey, and that's exactly why Jesus is doing what he's doing and why Matthew is recording it the way he is. This is why one commentator can say, without, without, without question, the central motif of this passage is Jesus' deliberate symbolic claim to Messiahship. Jesus is arranging to ride on this colt because he knew the prophecy of Zechariah. Jesus knew what was, what was going on, what Zechariah had prophesied. And he's orchestrating these events specifically because he wants everyone in Jerusalem to know that he is the Messiah. He is the promised king. I mean, just to be clear, it's not as though Jesus, having, having trekked all the way from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and having now been from Jericho, climbed up this 3,000-foot climb, getting within two miles of Jerusalem, it's not as though all of a sudden Jesus says, well, I just can't go on any longer. My feet are killing me. My shoes are worn out. I, I've got to get another mode of translation, transportation. That's not what Jesus is doing. He, he hasn't traveled throughout Matthew's gospel over land by anything. He rode a boat a couple times, but, but he never rode on anything. He's, his feet are, are good. And so he's not saying, well, I can't do this. It's, it's intentional. He is riding on this donkey to distinguish himself from everyone else that's entering Jerusalem at this time. He wants the crowds in Jerusalem to know who he is. He is the promised king. And the other thing, just before moving on, to note, and I just mentioned this, but, but the, the nature in which this king comes, this promised son of David, Zacharias says, is coming humbly, mounted on a donkey, on, on the coal, on the beast of burden. Right? The promised king, yes, he's the promised king, but we can't miss that he's a humble king, a king of peace, which is not the type of king that Israel wanted or expected. You see, for Israel, the, the hope of the son of David and, and the coming of the king to Zion was a hope and a coming that was expected to be marked with victory and, and bows and arrows and war and deliverance. And so that's what they're expecting when the son of David comes to Zion. They're expecting this, this war, this battle, this, this unquestioned victory on behalf of God's people. I mean, they wanted, they wanted the greater Moses to come. Remember Moses? God's people were, were oppressed under Pharaoh, and, and there's this, this miraculous deliverance. And then they're chased by their enemies, and the Red Sea's part. And then what happens to, to Pharaoh and the chariots? They are destroyed. That, that's what they want the son of David to come do for them. That's what they want their king to come do. But Zechariah, from the beginning, is saying, no, 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 he's going to come humbly. Yes, he's coming to you, Zion, but he's going to come humbly. And while Jesus certainly came to wage war and deliver God's people from tyranny, it wasn't the way that the people were expecting. He's humbly coming, riding into Jerusalem. And we should note that. So, we come here. This, this is why, I mean, I almost called this sermon the A-triumphant entry. Because it's not, there's nothing really triumphant about it. It's intentionally non-triumphant. 
As one, one writer says, the, the antithesis, this entry into Jerusalem is actually the antithesis of triumphal in the way meant by the pilgrims who acclaim him as the Messiah. They're thinking of the conquering victor while Jesus intends it of the suffering servant. So he's riding a donkey, not a war horse. He will become the Davidic Messiah on the cross, not on the battlefield. And so he's not the king they expected, but he is the king that they needed. And so the promised king is entering Jerusalem, which leads secondly to our second point, the response to the king there in verses 6 through 11. Notice the response. And so here he comes. He's on the donkey, the unridden donkey, and he's going into Jerusalem. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and Jesus sat on them. I think that's the cloaks, not not the two donkeys. I think he's riding the unridden young goat or young donkey, and I think the mom is there. This is an unridden donkey. I don't know much about animal life, but apparently it would it would make sense if there's a, a young colt who's never been ridden before. It'd be helpful to have the mother there beside this, walking with it, so that so that it doesn't, I don't know, do what young colts do. I don't know, but I think he's riding on them. That's the cloaks. I don't think we have Jesus straddling a mother and a and a and a child. That's what some people think that Matthew's misunderstood what's happening. I think he's riding the young colt. And so they, they bring the colt. Jesus starts riding. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And so here we, we read that, and again, maybe you remember our childhood when there would be a Holy Week. We'd have Palm Sunday, and when I was a kid, I knew it was Palm Sunday because someone would go to the store and get all these palm branches, and all the little kids would, would run up and down the island and have palm branches. I didn't know what it meant. I just knew we had a bunch of palm branches. But here, they're doing it for a specific purpose. There's, there's royal imagery here as Jesus enters. The crowd is recognizing this is a significant event, and the, their response confirms, at least for now, that they recognize his identity. And so, and so there's two Old Testament passages that, that this is an allusion to, I think. First is in 1 Kings 1, when, when if you remember Adonijah, so David is, is old and he's going to die, and one of his sons, Adonijah, says, now's my chance, I'm going to become king. And so he, he, he curries the favor of all these, these, these officials, he leaves out a couple, but he goes and has a party, and they're making him king, and it's a big, it's a big celebration. And then Bathsheba and her son Solomon, who David said they're going to be king, goes to, Samuel, goes to Samuel the prophet and says, wait a minute, Adonijah's king. Do you know that King David? That Adonijah's made himself king. And, and then there's this whole, this, this, uh, this, this plan so that David recognizes, I didn't make him king, Solomon's king. And, but what he does is he says, specifically for our purposes here, he says, go get my mule and have Solomon ride that. And then declare with the trumpet that he is king. And so there, there's this precedent where, where the king, there was a, a royal tenor to a king riding a, a mule or a beast of burden. And so that's part of it. At times of peace, it wouldn't have been uncommon for this to happen. But the other allusion, which I think is even more clear, is in 2 Kings chapter 9, which if you, you can just, just peruse later the first 13 verses of 2 Kings chapter 9, Elisha calls, he's one of the prophets, and he, he calls a, a man named Jehu, who's going to be king, and when he tells Jehu that he's going to be anointed king, what happens is, every, this is verse 13 of 2 Kings 9, every man took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and they proclaimed, Jehu is king. And so the response to someone becoming king is, is you, you prepare the red carpet. 
This is the king, and his way needs to be prepared. And so there's a royal undertone in these palm branches and these cloaks being thrown before Jesus as he's walking on this road into Jerusalem. It's, it's almost a, a red carpet treatment. And so the crowd recognizes this is a unique event, and they're acting accordingly. But notice verse 9. And notice the they're, they're crowds. They're, they're going before him, and they're going behind him. I mean, this event is, is chaotic in a sense. So we, we have to remember, this is the Passover. So, so there are people streaming into Jerusalem for the celebration of Passover. And so there are lots of people traveling this very same road. So that's a lot of people in and of itself. But also remember that Jesus has been coming from Galilee, and he's been gathering up his, his crew of followers. I mean, people hear him, or they see a miracle, and they're like, we're following you, Jesus. And so, and so his crowd is, is, is building. And, and so we, we remember just last week, we saw Bartimaeus and another blind man who are healed. And John tells us that, that Jesus has actually just raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany, which is just beside Bethpage. And in fact, a lot of people have come out to see them, John says, because they heard about Lazarus. And they're like, we, we got to see this Lazarus guy that's just been raised from the dead. Because before, remember, when Jesus was working in, in Galilee, if you're in Jerusalem, you're like, that's just, the, that's just the, the hit country out there. They're just crazy out there. They're talking about people being raised from the dead. That's just crazy talk. Well, now it's in Bethany, and they can walk to Bethany and say, wait a minute. And so they want to hear about, about Lazarus. And a lot of people have seen Lazarus. They're like, he was dead, he's alive, and Jesus did it, so we're following Jesus. And so the, this crowd is building. And so uh, even he, he's just interacted in Jericho with Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? That was right there in Jericho, just before he makes this journey into Jerusalem. And so you have these pilgrims who are making their way for Passover. You have the, these people who have, who've left everything. They're following Jesus. And, and so there's this, this, this crowd that's building. It's not just Jesus and the twelve just slowly making their way. This crowd is building, and it just continues to increase as, as Jesus is riding a donkey. And people are putting palm branches on. Now it's, it's increasing and increasing in what they're doing. This crowds are going before him, crowds going behind him. And to add to the chaos, they are shouting aloud. Verse 9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're crying out. And these are, these are significant cries. In fact, the word Hosanna is a transliteration of the Aramaic phrase, which is simply a prayer that says, save now. Save now. That's what they're, they're crying, save now. They're going before him and behind him saying, save now. They, they recognize, blessed is the son of David who's come. He's coming into Zion. Now's the time we've been waiting for. Save now. Do what you've come to do. Glory to God in the highest. Hosanna to you. Blessed be you. They, they are proclaiming the identity of Jesus as he proceeds. And it's ironic, isn't it, that their cries, they proceed into Jerusalem. They're going into Jerusalem specifically for a feast that was celebrated every year that commemorated the blood of slain lambs and the deliverance of God's people from Israelites. And they're saying, save now. Save now. And they, they don't recognize he's going to do exactly that. But it's not going to be the way they expected Right now, they're crying, Hosanna. They're going to be crying something different in seven days, aren't they? Crucify. The cry's going to change because they, they don't understand what's happening before their very eyes. But right now, as they're entering Jerusalem, they are caught up. They're crying to the Son of David to save now. 
the salvation that they're asking for is going to come, but it's not going to go according to their expectations. Verse 10, finally, as Matthew ends this passage, notice, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. That word stirred up, that verb is actually used two other times in Matthew, and it refers to the shaking of an earthquake. And so again, this is an event that that is affecting the whole city. The whole city is stirred up. And we're going to see next week that that he goes straight to the temple. He's not going to the throne. He's going straight to the temple. But but the religious leaders are like, what's going to happen here? This this is a big deal. We've got to do something. But the whole city is stirred up with, with, with this procession. And notice what Matthew says they ask. Who is this? That's the question. That's the question Matthew wants his readers to ask. And that's what we should stop and say, who is this? As we've entered into this procession and, and we see all that's going on, we ought to pause and ask ourselves, who is this? That's the question upon which everything depends. And I think in verse 11, Matthew gives an answer to this question that is deficient. Notice the insufficient response, verse 11, and the crowds said, and we don't know the crowds, are these the crowds following or are these the crowds in, in Jerusalem that, that this crowd is arriving to? We don't know. All we know is that the response of the, the question, who is this? The response is, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I think that's an insufficient response, and I think Matthew's recording that intentionally. It's, it's severely deficient. Yes, he certainly fulfilled the role of prophet, but in this passage, at this point of, in life, of his life and ministry, there's much more that must be recognized about who this is. And so they're deficient. They don't answer it fully. Remember Peter's response, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Nevertheless, the crowds are crying out and preparing the road before him because here comes this man, the king is entering Jerusalem. And, and I, I think there's only, there's only two points of application here. As we, as we come to the end of this passage, we'll see next week he's going straight in to, to the temple. And he's going he's gonna to attack the religious system, the corruption that's come. But, but here, as the king is entering Jerusalem, I think first point of application is simply recognizing this. The king and his kingdom are not what was expected. The coming of the Davidic king, the son of David, many people assumed that this kingdom would be of this world. Is now the time that you're going to overthrow the Romans? Is now the time, many assumed, the disciples included, that Jesus was going to overthrow the government structures of his day and establish God's reign in Jerusalem, just like old times at that exact time. But as Jesus here in our passage approaches Jerusalem, it's clear that his intentions are not earthly in that sense. He's not coming on a chariot with a sword in hand. He's coming on a donkey, humble. That's because the king and his kingdom are not of this world. I mean, for the Christian, the kingdom that we are part of, the kingdom that God has established is a kingdom with a clear leader, a clear Lord, a clear king, and his name is Jesus. And he is the king, and his kingdom has come. And that's not in jeopardy, no matter what's happening in our world, no matter what's happening in the kingdoms of this world. God's kingdom is secure because our king has come. And so for the Christian, our lives in this kingdom that we've been brought into through the work of this king, our lives are lived under the rule and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Right? We, we look to him for salvation, but we live subject to him. Above all else, above all else, we pledge our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our primary aim is to obey him, to follow him. He is our king and has called us to follow him. And so that's the first call to the Christian is, is how are you aiming and endeavoring to obey the Lord Jesus Christ with your life? He's given marching orders through his word. We ought to know what does Jesus expect of me. That is not a question that we're left to ponder to ourselves. He's given us his word. The second application, which I think is the the more, more clear one from this, is that the king does bring peace, but he does through his death. Now, now, we didn't go all the way back in Zechariah 9, but in that chapter later, after the, the, the part that Matthew, that Matthew quoted, Zechariah continues talking about the peace that would come from the salvation. The king is coming in design and salvation is going to come and there's going to be peace. And the, the idea in the Old Testament was that the, the, the one who brings salvation, who rides the colt, would come and establish peace. And so the question wasn't, is there or isn't there going to be peace? The, the question, the issue is, how is that peace going to be established? And the expectation was that the peace was going to come through conquering with physical swords and weapons. They wanted peace to be accomplished through removing the Romans from the city. And so in the minds of these Jews, I mean, imagine they, they see the, the, the one riding on the donkey. Maybe they think, now's the time. This is the time that that Rome's going to be defeated because he appears to be the son of David. And so maybe they think, I'm so glad that that we are here and now because we're going to see the salvation that God promised through Zechariah. But their their salvation was, was, was categorically different than what Jesus actually came to do. When Jesus comes as the Christ, as the Messiah who promised to bring peace, the enemy he came to destroy in order to establish this peace, it wasn't Rome primarily. Rather, Jesus comes and accomplishes, accomplishes peace by defeating an enemy much greater than Rome ever was. And he comes and brings peace by conquering an opposing force much more powerful than any Gentile ruler ever could be. But he conquers through being conquered. He wins by losing. He lives by dying. He conquers the enemy by being conquered himself. He brings peace peace through his death. The king lays down his life as a ransom for many. And this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is king who suffered and died so that we could be welcomed into his kingdom. And so if you're here this morning, you're you're not a believer, you haven't put your faith in Christ, you haven't pledged your allegiance to him, you're you're not endeavoring to follow him, you haven't repented of your sins and put your faith in him, you ought to know that Jesus is king and he deserves your allegiance. There's no other king worthy of your life save Jesus Christ. He is king of kings and lord of lords and has called you to follow him, to turn from yourself, to to turn from your sin and to, to follow him. And so that's a call. Would you follow Christ the Lord today, would you repent of your sins and put your faith in Him? That's the call for everyone here who's not trusting in Christ. The good news of the gospel is He came into Jerusalem and laid down His life. But you ought to know He's coming again, and He's not coming to bring peace the second time. 
He is coming with a sword and with an army, and He will destroy His enemies. That day is coming. And friend, if you're not on His team, you will be destroyed by the King of Kings. And so you ought to just know today, today is the day where you can trust Him as Lord and be welcomed into His kingdom and onto His team. He's done the work. You come to Him in faith, and that's all that's required. And then you, you spend your life following Him. And we here, we're, we're a group of people who are trying to follow Him. We do it imperfectly, but we're trying to do it. And we'd love for you to come be part of our church and, and, and join us on our journey. But if you don't respond to the call of the Lord Jesus, a day is coming when you will no longer be able to respond. And you will meet Him as your enemy. This is the good news of the gospel. Christ came and laid down his life so that we could be partakers in his kingdom. And this is the call of Christ to those of us who follow him. We, to find life, we must die to self. Anyone who follow me must take up his cross and follow me. And so as believers, we are called to find life by losing ourselves and following him. Well, let's, let's pray as we close and then we'll, we'll sing in response.